What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. It was meant to be a quiet Sunday evening at the Venture Compound. Hank and Dean played hide-and-seek in the kitchen. Brock sharpened his bowie knife in the garage. And Dr. Venture was in his lab, working on a trans-dimensional teleporter. I think I got it, Dr. Venture proclaims, as he presses a big red button to turn it on. It is then that the entire party of adventurers tumbles through the portal and into the lab. Cavalier, ranger, barbarian, acrobat, thief, and magician take in their surroundings and scatter away into the compound. Venture calls the team on his wristwatch radio and tells them to prepare for a fight. It's the party versus the family. It's the trapped versus the stuck. It's Team Dungeons and Dragons versus Team Venture. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Sicanus. In today's episode, we are doing some incredibly something incredibly rare for the Who Would Win show. That's right, it's time for another team battle. In one corner, you have one of the greatest animated series ever from Adult Swim. At least in my opinion, that's the case. I'm talking about the Venture Brothers versus the ultimate expression of 1980s animation greatness. That's right, it's the kids from Dungeons and Dragons. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this match has been discussed and... No, just no, no, no one's ever dared to speak of a battle so, what's the right word, magnificent, so grand, so epic, that it puts the MCU phases one through six to shame. Yeah, I said it. So yet again, who would win brings you a premier matchup in the geek culture universe. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's matchup? I couldn't be more excited about the matchup we're putting on the table today. This is my wheelhouse. These are my people. Dungeons and Dragons. I grew up, my dad was a big Dungeons and Dragons fan back when that stuff was new. So there were all kinds of monster manuals and dungeon master guides all around the house when I was growing up that I just ate up like a ravenous purple worm. 
On the other side of the equation, Venture Brothers came around, you know, 2003, a little bit later on, but I was in a sweet spot for Adult Swim when this show became big. I would stay up till very, 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 very late. Every single night would watch the crap out of Venture Brothers. Huge fan. I love parodies. I love smart parodies. These are two wonderful properties. I cannot wait to smash them together like action figures. <laughs> you know, it's it, these are all like really good things to kind of bring up because they represent two different eras of animation. Yet, you know, it's something I want to discuss with you because we're kind of moving into a new era as we speak. So uh, as many of you know, I was at San Diego Comic-Con not too long ago. And one of the main topics of discussion that came up throughout the entire weekend was that a lot of people are kind of going back and forth in terms of the style of animation that they prefer more. So we have the classic 2D style. You know, you've got your Dungeons and Dragons, the classic 80s animation, everything G.I. Joe, Transformers, etc., all the way up to the Venture Brothers and moving forward. And now we're facing off against a lot of 3D animation. I'm not crazy about some of it, but there's a lot that's actually really good. So, Ray, I'm going to kind of turn this back over to you. What do you think? Do you have a preferred style? Do you like 2D or 3D more? What do you think about this whole thing? Well, unfortunately, 3D-style animation was ruined uh, to me by that Transformers Beast Wars atrocity of a show. (laughs) I'm just not even going... I can't even get excited about 3D animation just knowing that Beast Wars exists. So if you're going to ask me, what are you into? The answer is G.I. Joe. I'm into G.I. Joe, and whatever G.I. Joe is, that's what I'm into. So if G.I. Joe, if there's a new G.I. Joe animated series, but it was done in 3D, you're totally down with it. Is that correct? If it's G.I. Joe, I would give it a chance. But if it's 3D, it could be Beast Wars. And that's hands off. (laughs) Well, are you referring to like the Beast Wars series from like the late 90s? Because if that's the case, that's barely 3D. It's more like 3C. I don't know how to put it. That was not a good reflection of what today's technology can represent. They had robot animals making farts as plot points. I'm just saying it scarred me. So what you do at home is fine, but seeing it in an animated style with animals. We don't talk about what it. my robot animals do at home, James. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore after no. some of video. Mm, yeah. All right. This is something that's important because I know major uh, streaming channels and networks and what have you are kind of moving towards this. And I got to tell you. Every time I say three, I see 3D animation, I'm like, I don't know about this. Then I see another series, and it's absolutely fantastic. As we all know, there's a lot of 2D animation that's just uh, not up to snuff. So, you know, this is something we need. We need kind of a genius to weigh in on this. Luckily, we have one, which means I get to introduce today's judge. You don't need to do that, James. I'm right here. You're a standard genius. Then I'm on every episode. Why are you making a big deal out of it? That's fair, but uh, let's go with a good looking genius. That's something different. Uh can't fight that there you go all right making another appearance on the who would win show it's the star of my three dads podcast co-host of the father good podcast it's writer producer fan favorite judge and despite what race to says i think no i know he's one of those beautiful minds in hollywood it's marshall givens marshall welcome back to who would win you all are amazingly sweet and kind thank you i'm so glad to be here thank you for having me this is awesome you're welcome. That was me, by the way, not Ray. All this right, is so, true. This is true. Listen, Thank you, Marshall. James. Ray, go to hell. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Ray gets that on a daily basis. Marshall, you know, before <laughs> I ask you and we go into this 2D versus 3D animation kind of stuff, tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, what you've been up to. Oh, you know, uh, improvising, 
uh, being on the board of a brand new uh, theater coming, uh, uh, opening, or actually opening and moving uh, in Los Angeles, uh, the Ledge Theater. I'm on the board of that theater where uh, we've just uh, uh, started uh, a new run over at Skip Town Theater in Hollywood. Uh, so I've been working on that um, and, you know, doing some improvising, some teaching, some stand-up. Got some stand-up coming up. And oh, wow. creating some cartoons of my own to hopefully get on uh, the Who Would Win podcast. That would be amazing. Could you imagine like how great it would be to have the legendary Marshall Givens animation on, you know, being discussed on the Who Would Win? Yo, we would do this, by the way, if you just took like shadow puppets. You know, hand puppet, whatever. <laughs> and you're like, this is my new animated style. I'll be like, well, we need to discuss this next episode. We are that big of fans of yours. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of being big fans, we I'm sure you heard what Ray and I were talking about before we were introduced. What's your take on this whole 2D classic animation style versus new era 3D, you know, style? Do you have a preference? What do you think about all of this? Um, like, well, I'm like, Ray. I came, you know, I came up in the 2D world and also like Ray Yo, that Beast Wars was rough. <laughs> that was some rough 3D. The funny yeah. part about it is, is that it, I didn't realize how rough it was in, in, until like later afterwards. Because <laughs> at the time, I was just like, hey, I'm up and I don't have to be at school yet. So Beast Wars is on and that's what I'm watching. But yes, no, that so that 3D, <laughs> lots of um, a lot of Coco Melon vibes from coming from that show. Um, Ooh, that's <laughs> all, rough. All, wow. all my parents know what I'm talking about. Wow. <laughs> lots of weirdly gelatinous water and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's Wait, just are you talking about Ray again, or Sorry. yes, Ray, Ray, <laughs> Ray is, is weirdly gelatinous. It's hot here. Um, <laughs> so, in terms of like. It's just got to be done right, you know what I mean? And it's got to make sense. Sometimes the 3D is done too well, and it's like, well, this is too real, and I don't, like, you know what I mean? That Uncanny Valley stuff starts to happen. So I'm I'm fine with the, the 2D. It's a cartoon. I'm not expecting realism, so I'm okay with the flat 2D. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm okay with it. Sure. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> I don't need you to try harder. <laughs> okay, so so for, for both of you, Ray and Marshall, I got to ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 meaning it doesn't bother you, 10 means like you, you want to stab your eyes out with a pencil. How much does it hurt or bother you knowing that Beast Wars, as far as I know, is part of actual Transformers G1 continuity? <laughs> Along with Optimus Prime dying, yeah, no, this is bruh. This, yes. this is not cool. Optimus Primal, it was a thing oh, when Optimus <laughs> Prime. Does that bother you at all? Does that make you happy? Where, where's your head with this? I believe my head with this is pretty much where I believe certain Star Wars fans' head should be with it, and that's it. If I like it, it's canon, and if I don't, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, I think I probably just divorced myself of Transformers fandom at that point. I just, mm, yeah, I don't really yeah. care anymore. It's just, it's something on. So I'm gonna have to say I'm, I'm at a one because I, it, I lost me at that point. <laughs> to me, Transformers oh, wow. the movie is the only Transformers that there ever was. That VHS will be wrapped oh, in gold yeah. when I die. <laughs> oh, and the <clears throat> the theme music. The yeah, theme music yeah. was just so iconically was it's the word good or bad, I don't know. But it's iconic one way or another. I don't I have no idea. All right, listen. I, we we're so, kind of revisiting. Me, it's so unforgettable. <laughs> or forgettable. It's so Dare. forgettable. Da, da, da. Okay. 
So we're revisiting in this episode, you know, classic 2D animation with not too recently of the past 2D animation, two uh, diametrically opposed types of series, one where it's all about family, even though none of them are related, and the other one where it has nothing to do with family, even though they are all related. This may be one of our greatest or craziest episodes of Who Would Win of All Time. So with all that being said, it is about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing TSR, the team that can take on anybody as long as they don't roll any ones, Team Dungeons and Dragons. And representing Adult Swim, the team that can take on anybody, just don't ask what a rusty venture is, Team Venture. <laughs> well done, Ray. Now, before we go, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match, which are brought to you by Comixology, one of our great sponsors. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Ray, I'm assuming... There's only really one version of Team Venture here, the animated series from Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. Is it, Am I correct? That's the version you'll be using? Even if there was another version, the cartoon version is so dominant, I'm going to have to go there anyway. I think that's a good call. I'll be using the uh, animated version from the 80s, the early 80s, even though there's been a ton of fanfic. Uh, taking these characters, you know, way past the series, what have you. I'm just going to stick with the original because that's what you got to do. All right, rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store to get your very own Who Would Win merchandise and accessories. Go to whowouldwinstore.com to get your hands on some Who Would Win merch right now. In this life, it pays to zig when everyone else is zagging. Movement saw a stagnant marketplace for watches and accessories and changed it with their unbelievable prices on some pretty classy stuff. You know by now I love my Astro Blue watch. I wear it when I want to look good. When we do live Who Would Win shows again in 2023, I guarantee I will be wearing my Astro Blue watch. And you know what time of year it is. Get something classy for your loved ones and don't break your bank to do it. Be the good gifter with movement. During their seasonal sale, get a special discount just in time for the holidays. Join the movement today at MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. Join the movement. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. 
Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Speaking of now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for the Venture Brothers. Team Venture consists of Dr. Thaddeus Rusty Venture, his sons Hank and Dean, and their bodyguard Brock Sampson, as well as their robot helper. They were created by Jackson Public, and their pilot episode first aired in 2003. Appearing on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim, the Venture Brothers was a send-up of Johnny Quest cartoons from the 1960s, parodying everything from the spy genre, superhero tropes, and all geek culture up to that point. The show was a hit with Adult Swim viewers, and despite its very erratic schedule, viewers never know if more is coming, even now, even after it's been canceled. At the center of this is a former boy genius turned frustrated scientist named Rusty Venture. His father was a great hero whose shadow he's never been able to escape. His sons, Hank and Dean, are both being trained for roles in the organization, and Brock Sampson is a former OSI agent, that's Office of Secret Intelligence, with a license to kill and a great ability to do just that. The Venture Brothers have spanned seven seasons so far, and just when you think the show is done, it just cranks out another overnight. Fun fact, it should come as no surprise to learn that among the myriad of things the Venture Brothers TV show pulls from, that the world of professional wrestling would be one of them. Yes, the character of Brock Sampson is an angry, violent man voiced by Patrick Warburton of Patrick Warburton fame. But did you know... Did you know the character model for Brock Sampson was based on pro wrestler Sid Vicious slash Sid Justice? Looking at it with that in mind, the tall, broad-shouldered blonde guy who gets crazy and hurts people isn't really that hard to see. Well, that is Team Venture. This makes so much sense because I, I was always trying to figure out who was Brock Sampson based off. I thought it was probably like two or three or four different People, maybe one was a pro wrestler, but now that you said Sid Vicious mm-hmm. or Sid Justice, if you will, this makes complete sense. Yeah, that is absolutely Sid Justice or Sid Vicious <laughs> in animated form. I love it. it, makes me love the Venture Brothers even more. All right, here are the details for Dungeons and Dragons. Now, the animated series of Dungeons and Dragons was created by Kevin Paul Coates and Dennis Marks and first aired on CBS in September of 1983. 
Dungeons and Dragons chronicled the journey of a band of kids who were stranded in a mystical land, forced to battle dragons, beasts, and other magical beings while trying to elude the insidious master villain, Venger. Guided by the mysterious and very Yoda-like Dungeon Master, this band of young outsiders were given magical weapons to not only protect themselves from the dangers around them at all times, but also to protect those within the realm who couldn't protect themselves. And here's an interesting fact about Dungeons & Dragons. Did you know that even though the series is held up to be the gold standard, or at least part of the gold standard of 1980s animation, that it still got canceled after only 27 episodes? It's true. Back in the 1980s, the Dungeons & Dragons gaming community became vilified due to some parental and religious groups associating evil with the game and its negative effect on kids. And that negative pressure also befell CBS and the production team that created the animated series. So most people felt that the negative pressure is why it got canceled. However, that's not true. No, the real reason why this animated series got canceled was because of something even more evil and more insidious. It was poor ratings. Yeah, that's it. The show kind of ran its course over three seasons, as most animated shows did back in the 80s. However, for some weird reason, someone in a position of power paid a writer to create a series finale episode that tied up everything in the series. And of course, this was never produced. Some people say it's (laughs) canon. Some people say it's not. But what's really interesting is this stranded group of kids actually made it home, except for one, Presto, who stayed to become the protege of Dungeon Master. Pretty crazy. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Marshall, do you have any questions before we get started? No, no. I I vaguely remember Dungeons & Dragons. I know Venture Brothers is a thing. Now that you say it, Sid Vicious, I see it. I see it in the picture right now. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to roll. <laughs> let's do it. All right, let's get this party started. Ray, hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Team Venture. I'm just going to break this down by characters, and we're going to start with the surprise powerhouse of the crew. That's Dr. Thaddeus Rusty Venture himself. He refers to himself as 135 pounds of grade A American come and get it because he's a stubborn guy. He's a stubborn old man. He has the disappointing life that he was the the son. He was basically Robin to a very powerful Batman, and everybody loves Batman, but now that he's grown up, Everybody kind of sees him as a joke. They only remember him as the Wesley Crusher on the Enterprise of that show. But he is, honest to gosh, an actual good scientist sometimes. He can produce real, real important devices sometimes. He's not a guy who applies himself very often, but when he's hot in the moment, he is very, very good at thinking through the situation and then quickly putting together a device to get him out of it on the spot. He's that level of super genius. He just pops a lot of pills and doesn't apply himself. But in the heat of the moment... He can get it done because he's got a lot of inventions, you know. He has also defended himself physically a few times, and that is important compared to some of these other D&D characters. He once killed a guild henchman, you know, a guild of the calamitous intent, etc., etc. He killed a guild henchman with a house key. With a house key, and he was able to pull that off despite only being 135 pounds of scientist. You know, uh, he's also invented a heck of a lot of things, lest we forget the iRobots, These giant spider-looking eyeball robots that go around uh, travel the compound. He's created combat robots for combat situations before. And if he's done it, it means that by the press of a button, they could theoretically be there to help him. He's also created mind control devices that actually worked and would probably work very, very well on a bunch of kids in the D&D party. And his big claim to fame in the later seasons, he invented an actual functioning teleporter 
that actually worked. Nobody could believe that he was the guy who invented actual working teleporters, and he ended up crashing part of the world's economy because all of a sudden, people could just get from point A to point B very, very easily. Um, at one point, he got injured, and he hooked himself up to the robot helper when his kidneys were stolen. So his kidneys are stolen. He wakes up kind of in that uh, meme. He wakes up in that nightmare creepy pasta situation. And he, and he, in the moment, hooks up a whole bunch of uh, tubes to make a helper into a kidney dialysis machine and save his own life. See, when it comes down to brass tacks and it comes down to having to get it done to live or die, Rusty Venture will get it done every single time. He's a survivor who can back off when necessary, escape from a fight, sit at the, you know, at the periphery of the fight for a while, put together some sort of massively powerful device, come back into the fight, and then solo everybody involved with his new robot. And that's very important because if this was just a one-on-one battle with Dr. Venture, that wouldn't do him a lot of good. But this is a team battle where Dr. Venture can back away from the fight and kind of get something done while the other people are fighting and holding up the D&D party. That is important to this battle, and that is my point number one. This is really interesting that you would lead it off this way because you're right. He, he, he can bring a lot to it if he has time to prepare, if he's got access to all of his tech. But this is a random encounter with no prior knowledge of his opponents and no time to prepare for the battle. All of a sudden, he's sipping a drink, you know, kind of living the lifestyle, and boom, he's in a fight. That's what's going to happen here. Now, let me kind of talk about some of your points, your brilliant points, by the way. Dr. Venture... I love this character. I especially love the fact that he's insanely cowardly. He runs from danger. Uh, He's very confident and brave when everything is going his way. But the moment it starts to fall apart, so does he, especially mentally and emotionally. And then he runs for his life to get the hell out of there because he wants to survive. Speaking of survivor, I agree. He absolutely is an ultimate survivor. He can run away from danger, find a hole to, you know, go into or a rock to hide behind or Brock Sampson or whatever's there, and he's going to do whatever he can to survive. He's not going to necessarily win the fight, but he will survive to try to fight another day. Absolutely agree with that. Again, robots and tech, this guy's a genius, and sometimes stuff works, and sometimes it works great. A lot of times it doesn't. But then again, what does he have on him at this fight? He doesn't have access to his robots, his neutral location, his tech, his teleport, all that. These are huge things. He doesn't have access to anything that doesn't carry on him at all times. And uh, that's it. He's he's a great character. But man, this guy is cowardly and kind of weak uh, in terms of uh, physical constitute or mental constitution. I hate saying it because I just love the character. Let me get to my point number one. I'm also going to lead off with the characters, but I'm going to talk about all the characters, all their heroes of Dungeons and Dragons, because this is a group of kids that are ultimate fighters. They they didn't just survive a harsh realm, but they fought through it and took on crazy things. If you were a teenager on an amusement park ride, then all of a sudden got transported to the Dungeons and Dragons realm, you'd probably lose your mind. But not these kids. Oh no. Not only they keep their composure somehow, but they were also awarded magical weapons and items to help them on their quest to find a way home and help people along the way. So let me break these down real quick. You got Hank the Ranger. Now this is the leader of the group. He was a character who had a magical bow that would shoot big, huge arrows of glowing yellow energy. Now, these arrows could be used in many different ways. They could be create, create a, a, a climbing tool, like a ladder. They could be used as, you know, energy blast to hurt enemies. He could use them almost as ropes to bind people together or even create super 
big flashes of light to blind people. That was a really cool thing. There's also Eric the Cavalier, quite possibly the only Jewish member of the team. He had a shield that could project a force field in front of him or that even could surround a group of people like his friends of be. This force field is so powerful that the first time he used it was when he was transported to this realm and Venger shot a blast of crazy energy at him. He ducked his head behind the shield instinctively and, of course, the shield protected him. Side note, the characters knew how to use their weapons to a great degree, had that magical download of information right away, so they were already kind of really good at using everything. Now, moving on, there's Bobby the Barbarian. This is a little kid. I think he's about 10 years old in the series. He had that huge club, again, a barbarian. The moment he activated it, he could smash it into whatever he wants. He'd smash it on the ground, create earthquakes around him, smash it into a building, cause an avalanche, take out trees, large objects, smash big people. This kid could do it all with that club. There's Presto the Magician. Now, he's able to pull an endless amount of cool things, uh, tools, what animals, whatever, from his hat. And often, like a Dr. Venture, these things appear to be of little use. There's like, but... You know, the other thing, there's there's numerous times, this is really cool in researching this, where when the whole group of kids is in danger, that Presto will draw from his hat exactly what's needed in order to save all of his friends right then and there. Really cool. So it's not a maybe, it's just when all of his friends are in danger, he pulls out something that's going to work. There's Sheila the Thief. Now, she has this cloak of invisibility where she puts the hood over her head, she turns invisible, and yeah, that's about it. That She's invisible, she can sneak up on people, steal things. I mean, that's pretty cool. Then... This is the secret. This is the person who's the best fighter in this group from my calculations. That's Diana the Acrobat. Now, picture Simone Biles who knows how to fight and has all of her superhuman acrobatic specials because I do believe Simone Biles is absolutely superhuman and give her a weapon, a magical bow staff. Now, I think she's the most dangerous hand-to-hand combatant these kids have. She's listed as peak humans. You've got a Captain America teenager right then and there. She's got that peak human agility, flexibility, reflexes, speed, athletics, strength. She's also an expert in unarmed and armed combat and has a download of martial arts because she knows how to fight right away. Now, the staff is almost unbreakable. It takes something crazy to break it. And the staff can shrink or grow in length from a few inches to at least six feet long. And if the staff is broken, just put the the pieces back together and they reattach and mend themselves magically. And the staff can be used as a melee weapon or she can throw it like a dart or a harpoon. And she uses a tool. She uses it to help with acrobatics. She is the badass of the group. There's also Uni the unicorn. It's a little sister of the group. It's a little kid baby unicorn. Now, it should be a part of this battle. Hard to say. Just wanted to bring that up. But when you put this group together with their magical weapons, they already kind of know how to use them and their proficiency and who they had to battle in this magical realm to survive and thrive, they are a huge threat to Team Venture. That's my point number one. Very interesting. You're, 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 you're saying a lot of things I thought you were going to spread out over a few points. So I'm interested to see where you take this argument further. Now, a couple of things to talk about here. Uh, Captain America, you're going to try to compare the acrobat to Captain America. Captain America is not peak human. Captain America has super soldier serum and is an enhanced human and goes beyond a human's potential. So I think that you're uh, you're graying the lines just a little bit right there. Uh, let's let's take Captain America off the table for the acrobat child of the D&D party. And child is really the word I want to emphasize here. These kids are ages 8 to 15. These are not very old competitors. They have not had a lifetime of combat and a lifetime of being in this life like all of Team Venture. Even Hank and Dean, who I'll get into in a second, they've been living this their entire lives. They've been getting abducted by supervillains their entire lives. And these kids just got thrust into it, were given a little bit of power, and then sort of fumble their way through the D&D world. 
you know, Venger, Venger's one of the coolest looking villains in all of fiction to accomplish very, very little at the end of the day. Prior to Darth Maul becoming great in his later stories, I would have a very strong comparison to uh, Phantom Menace, Darth Maul versus all Avenger. Not that impressive is all I'm trying to say. You're not that familiar with the history of Avenger. He did quite a bit before the series, but I do see before your point in a couple series, of things. Yeah. But let's bring it to the judge. Marshall, you've heard yep. one point from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far in this battle? I'm going to be really frank. One team's got magic and the other team doesn't. So, I mean, I don't really... <laughs> I'm going to be real honest. I feel like the D&D kids, even with the lack of experience, might have a slight advantage. Slight. Slight so far. But I'm I'm leaning towards D&D right now. Just gonna be. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's a whole team of magical weapons against uh, Dr. Venture. Not the strongest member of the team, I believe, anyway. But you never can count Ray out. His debating style is picked up dramatically. I'm interested to see where he goes with this. Ray, hit us with your point number two. I want to address that really quick as part of my point mm-hmm. number two because Dr. Orpheus versus uh, Dr. Venture in the actual Venture compound, it was magic versus science, and it was a big thing that they had. And Dr. Venture's big point was there's nothing you can do with magic. I cannot duplicate with science. So they had a competition, I believe, as who could like grow the biggest or shrink the most. And it was, and they, they both were very, very impressive by it. In these worlds, magic and science can counteract each other pretty, pretty well. So I would say magic it's good, but the the super science can combat it a heck of a lot. Now let's talk about Hank Dean and Helper, because the first thing that you're going to learn, spoiler alert, is that Dean and Hank are clones. They have a whole pile of Hank and Dean clones in their basement. And at one point the uh, compound was getting attacked and they said, release the clones. And so Hank and Dean who had been killed 12, 13, 14 times and didn't know it. They just got their memories put into their clone body and just kept on going. They released all of these clones at the same time, which is something that reasonably you could expect them to do here as well. Hank and Dean by themselves are great. A pile of attack zombie clones. Now we're talking about something worthy of this battle. Uh, There was a mother involved, but uh, Myra, no, she wasn't really. Don't worry about that. Now, Hank and Dean are the younger members of the party. Absolutely. But uh, Hank is training to be Brock Sampson. Dean is training to be Dr. Venture, which means that we have a lower uh, impact version of both of them who have shown competence, especially in the times they've been captured and been able to get themselves out of situations involving supervillains, especially as the show progresses. Dean starts growing a little bit of a stubble and and they start uh, taking on a little bit more of a B.A. personality. Uh, They have huge amounts of smarts inside of them is one thing I'll say. They sleep in these smart beds, which actually pumps like the knowledge of uh, all science and combat and everything else gets pumped into their brains. So they have an inherent knowledge of what to do in certain situations. So even though they kind of look foolish, they bounce around being silly, uh, having their own little Scooby-Doo mystery during most episodes that doesn't involve the plot at large, they do at the end of the day end up typically finding something which does help out the greater battle. And they can fight a little bit when they need to, or at least have a lot of clones of themselves that can as well. They work together very, very well using Hank's strength and his uh, ability to go headlong into battle with Dean's more tactical nature, telling Hank, brother, you got to go here, you got to do this, and then we're going to get it done using smarts, and it works out. They've been able to overcome a lot of obstacles together. At one point, Dean, and this is a great moment, talking about magic, 
the spirit of Abraham Lincoln attempted to possess Dean, and he was able to use his own inherent powers to prevent that possession from happening, he then turned around and made a, a construct suit out of $5 bills that the spirit of Abraham Lincoln could then possess so that he could help them in battle. Look, that's the kind of anti-magic stuff that this super science can put together. And I do want to make a mention of Helper because he is officially a robot and he is officially a member of Team Venture because four versus six, that's no fun. Give me a fifth one here, right? But Helper is a robot who can be modified. He automatically has a helicopter blade in his head, which means that he can uh, pull people out of danger if he needs to or perhaps grab Brock Sampson easily and drop him where he needs to go. Hey, one member of this entire battle flies and it's on my side that's got to be helpful he's also a field surgeon despite you know and, and dr venture turned him into a dialysis machine sir he actually is a surgeon who can heal people on the field of battle and at one point dr venture hooked up a, a battle mode for helper which uh, greatly enhanced his ability to fight and this battle mode involved machine guns, flamethrowers, uh, saw blades, chopper blades. Look, the D&D people have had to go after a lot. Not a machine gun. Haven't really had to deal with a lot of machine guns in the D&D universe. That's an advantage, and that's my point number two. These are good things. I think the best point you brought up is the fact that they've got Helper. And Helper does have some good offense. The problem is when Helper is you know, kind of doing his own thing, and this, I love the character, don't get me wrong, but unfortunately, he's also, just like Dr. Venture, he's a coward. When things go wrong, he gets the heck out of there. He'll go against his programming and literally portray the fact like, yeah, this is not going to be a healthy endeavor for me. I'm out. He's done that so many times. Again, you brought up the fact that Hank and Dean have been killed repeatedly. They've been killed so often. I remember one episode, it was either Dr. Venture or uh, Brock Sampson said, yeah, I, I can't keep track anymore. I have no idea where we're at with all of this. These kids get killed a lot. Still getting killed. If they were that great, they were that capable, if they were that uh, 12 to 14 times being killed, don't think so. Compare that to the D&D kids. I know it was the 80s and everything, but they rarely even got hurt. That's pretty impressive when you're in a realm of magical dragons and beasts trying to kill you and take your weapons everywhere you're looking. Look, all of this is great. Hank and Dean are really cool. They've never shown other than an inkling of capability in their endeavors, where it's trying to be like Brock Sampson or trying to be a bit more like the uh, Dr. Venture. Uh, you know, and talking about the compound where Dr. Venture can match up, you know, uh, his tech with magic. Again, that's in the compound. We're in a neutral location. This is not something he has time to prepare for or have access to all of his tech. It's whatever he has on him at that moment. So as capable as he is, he's not going to have access to everything he can, you know, do and possibly use in this fight, which he wish he could. All right, let me get to my point number two. And and let me talk about the opponents that this group of teenagers in this magical realm had to take on and which kind of reveals how they can handle themselves. Now, let me talk about one. You know, I'm not going to go into everything. There's 27 episodes. There was a ton of different opponents. Let me just go over the really fun ones. There's one demon they defeated called Nightwalker. Nightwalker was known for being insanely powerful. And, you know, it was an 80s cartoon. So, of course, he kidnapped children in the middle of the night and turned them into his slaves. That's one character that the D&D team had to get together and figure out a way to defeat while not killing the kids he turned into slaves. There's a creature called a Beholder. Now, this is from classic D&D. &D. That's that floating 
a single eyeball monster with a bunch of tentacles. With, you know, at the end of tentacles, they have eyes. It's, uh, according to this from D&D, it's an aberration comprised of a floating spheroid body with a large fanged mouth and single eye in the front and many flexible eye stalks on the top. Each eye possesses a different magical ability. The main eye projects an anti-magical cone. The other eyes have different spells. This thing's a badass, is all I'm trying to say. This thing is a floating eyeball head with a lot of tentacles with eyes that shoot out crazy eye magic. And this is what the D&D team have to do. By the way, the Beholder loves killing things. And they even talked about in the show that the Beholder will actually destroy them. They had to take this on. Remember, these are teenagers from an amusement park on a ride. Maybe they kind of knew each other before. Maybe they didn't, but they all got together, got these weapons, and they became the badasses of the realm. Let's talk about Tiamat. That's that big, huge dragon who's got a number of dragon heads. Now, she's listed as the goddess of all chromatic dragons. Not regular dragons. Oh, no. Chromatic dragons. I'm not sure what that means. It just sounds good. She appears as a five-headed dragon, and each head has one of the five races of the chromatic dragons, because that's important. Uh, those being black, blue, green, red, and white. They're just colors, whatever. She's claimed to be the most powerful creature in the Dungeons & Dragons realm these kids are in. Even Venger fears her, and she appears all over the place, but her later is the dragon graveyard. She protects the bones of the dragon. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the ultimate creature of destruction that everyone is scared of. It's the Godzilla who can fly fly who has five heads and each head can do something crazy uh also insanely intelligent she's uh super intelligent you know insane superhuman strength can fly uh let's see they can attack with fire ice acid poison gas and lightning that's what each head can do she's immortal she can open interdimensional portals has other godlike powers by the way fun fact her hobby is listed as ruling over her dominion of hell so there's macaroni art and ruling over her dominion of hell as hobbies. Then there's <laughs> Venger. And Ray, to your point, here's the thing. Venger had a long history before encountering the kids from Dungeons and Dragons, right? It wasn't like he's just, hey, I'm Venger. I'm all bad and powerful. Oh, look, teenagers from another realm who have weapons I want. I'll take them on. Oh, no, I'm failing. No, 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 no. Venger is the most powerful entity in the series, save for Tiamat. And he possesses powers that, um, you know, are even better or at least on par with the Dungeon Masters. That's that Yoda-like creature who can do whatever he wants. He can do all kinds of spells. He's lived for over a thousand years. His magic has bested, and this is a quote, all heroes that have entered the realm. All heroes who have entered the realm he's beaten, except for the group of Hank, Eric, Diana, Presto, Sheila, and Bobby, the main heroes of the series. That's who he hasn't defeated because that's how badass they are. Let's talk about his powers and skills. He's got dark magical powers, necromancy. He can raise the dead. He's got evocation spells, shape-shifting, super strength, can fire power, blast, magical energy. He's immortal, can cast spells, and is one of the most powerful users of magic in the realm. By the way, he's also extremely evil. You think he's dead, and he comes back more evil and more powerful than ever. What's insane about all this is that this group of teenagers, this group of kids, lost in time, in a different realm, not only have survived, but they defeated all these seemingly vastly superior foes they've encountered. Look, take a group of teenagers from an amusement park, give them weapons, put them up against what Venger is. If you don't know what Venger looks like, Google them right now. You'd put all your money on Venger. I would have as well. But here's the thing. They have a win over Venger, a clear-cut win over Venger. So here's the deal. In one episode, Venger hurts Uni the Unicorn, the little sister of the team. And the whole team is like, that's it. We're done being chased by Venger. We're taking the attack to him. Dungeon Master even warns him, like, hey, this is a dark path and like screw this we're taking out Venger so they lure him to a trap they bring him to a place where the weapons are more powerful then just unleash hell on him take him out capture him and he's this close to being killed by Hank with his bow and arrow and at the last second he makes the arrow kind of miss because he has total control over it and kind of says 
come near us again, and it won't be so nice next time. That's who these kids are. Again, not regular teenagers from an amusement park. These are like L.A. teenagers in an amusement park. And what's the last thing you want to do to L.A. teenagers? That's right. Give them magical weapons. They're absolute badasses. That's my point number two. Wow, a lot to unpack with that point. First off, you spent almost two-thirds of that point talking about other characters. And I think this is a weird strategy you've started employing, James Gavsey. My characters are great. I'm going to talk about somebody completely separate from this fight as one of my points. They don't really like have any great wins over Venger. What you just described was them not really winning, but him just sort of running away. Why? Because he's a coward. He doesn't fight them. Well, what are we even talking about? And you even said in your own thing, they had to lure him to a place where they already knew their, their weapons would be more powerful. Powerful. That's not going to happen here. They don't have home field advantage uh, uh, at that. Venger himself in the intro to the show fires this lazy hand little uh, lightning ball at them that the Cavalier shield just bounces into the face of Tiamat. Like, and then Tiamat fights Venger. They don't even win that battle. They have to have outside interference to protect them, and that's the big thing here. This is a team, the D&D kids, who get themselves in trouble and in over their heads a heck of a lot, and the dungeon master has to show up to either make them more powerful, give them an edge. Dungeon Master is an outside interference character as well who is not going to be on the table to help them in this battle. When left to their own devices, they're not going to win. Wait, wait, wait. What series were you watching as a kid? Because you sure weren't watching Dungeons and Dragons. He helps Dungeon Master them didn't come back and give them a power-up. Constantly he helps them. He gave them their powers Benger, to begin with. According to who would win rules. He was tied up, incapacitated for well over two minutes. That's a who would win. Absolute victory. This is getting crazy. And that's why we're at the turning point where after hearing two points from Ray and myself, Marshall will tell us who is ahead and what the other side has to do to win. But before we get to what Marshall has to say, let's celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? This week, we're going to celebrate somebody who's been involved in it for a little bit and we haven't talked a lot about. We're going to talk about Sarvis. Sarvis is our patron Ooh. of the week. Ugh. You know, when you have someone like Sarvis, you need someone, an opponent who's a little bit, I don't know, off the wall, unorthodox. I can only think of one opponent worthy of him, of them, I should say. Let's put him up against Lupin the Third. Wow, Lupin the Third. Now that is a tall order. Lupin the Third being obviously one of my favorite characters of all time. So how dare you, James Gavsey? The thing about Lupin <laughs> the Third is he can be tricked by a member of the opposite gender. You know, he could absolutely go gaga. Now, I don't actually know if Sarvis in particular is male or female. It doesn't really matter for this battle because Sarvis plays mind games. Sarvis, regardless of personal gender, would absolutely have some sort of very good-looking woman to uh, seduce Lupin the Third before the battle even takes place. Lupin, when we caught with his pants down, figuratively, of course, and Sarvis would get a chance to get the jump on the world's greatest thief. Lupin's fumbling around. He can't find his Walther P-38. He can't find any of his tricks that he always has with him. Lupin has no choice when Sarvis does the attack, except jump out the window from a very, very high, high, high platform above what I assume is in a, a body of water, jump down into the water, that's personal battlefield removal because Sarvis knew what to do and got the jump on Lupin the third. That could not have been easy for you, Race to Canis, it but hurt. you know what? That does sound like exactly what would happen. Yep. It's true. <laughs> that's it. All right. 
Remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Marshall, you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself. Who do you yes. think is ahead, and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? Well, I got to say, the magic versus science debate, very intriguing. Very intriguing, because as we all know, magic is just science we haven't figured out yet. Mm-hmm. So that alone is that's a really good point for the Venture family uh, to hold their own against uh, these D and D these D and D children. But also, though, they've had to fight some pretty scary magical creatures as well. Um, you talked about James's strategy, and I don't know. I was like, well, knowing what they've been up against, that makes you know that makes a difference. I need to know what they've been doing. So as of right now. It's a little bit closer than it was before. I think like the 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 D kids have a slight advantage. So I'd really like to hear. I need to hear about some more feats from the Venture family. I need to know how they would specifically handle these kids. Fair. Interesting. It's fair. Interesting because these are such diametrically opposed groups going against each other. It's hard to say. And they both live in realms where magic to the degree of Dungeons & Dragons doesn't really exist in Team Venture. And tech definitely doesn't exist to that level within the Dungeons & Dragons realm. This is this is why we have Marshall on the show. He brings up the interesting points that need to be answered. Ray, let's see if we can bring it home with your point number three. I mean, first off, I just want to open my point number three by saying magic like this does exist in the Venture universe. Dr. Orpheus is essentially a Dr. Strange type character that just shows up and lives at the Venture compound and they have all kinds of back and forth there. So there's no magic nonsense that these kids are going to pull out that Dr. Venture and crew hasn't seen before, whereas Super Tech did not exist in 1981. You know, those computers in that era filled up gigantic rooms. So they're not ready for the type of super Super science that Dr. Venture, who's basically Tony Stark in the cave, inventing the Iron Man suit with just parts laying around. That's what Dr. Venture can do. But let's pivot for a second and talk about my man, Brock Sampson. Brock Sampson is the one reason specifically that is going to win this battle for Team Venture because of anybody involved. He's the best trained, most violent, most super heroic, most willing and able to kill in the entire battle that we're talking about. Because, James, in the 1980s and early 80s, you have the advantage that these kids were in peril but never really had anything truly bad happen to them. But at the same twist of fate, they were never really able to do anything bad to anybody else either. So the idea of pure, unadulterated uber violence would be abhorrent to this team Dungeons and Dragons enough to probably make them lose their nerve when the first of them gets their head removed from their body and Brock Simpson is a durable murderer he's a highly trained OSI agent which is effectively you know like an office of secret intelligence a James Bond type of organization he has a license to kill And he does it with impunity and without even thinking twice about it. He tends to carry a Bowie knife. That's his one very powerful weapon. But he also will use guns when he needs to. Brock Sampson grabbed a man, twisted his neck around so he was facing the wrong way, 
broke his neck and murdered him on the spot that way. He once grabbed a bellhop, picked him up in the air with one hand without feeling any real strength loss himself, and smashed him against the door of a hotel room in order to knock. This is the level of superhuman we're talking about thrust into the middle of this battle. He kicks doors off their hinges. He punched a tree, and it tore in half. One time there was a guard who was just talking to his friendly other guard, and Brock Samson took a pole vault, shoved it in the man's mouth, nailing him to the ground, and then pole vaulted over a fence on a pole vault that was down a man's throat. Who's doing acts of violence like this in the Dungeons and Dragons universe? I know Venger isn't. He's got lame little cotton candy balls that he throws at him. Poison. If there's poison involved, Brock Samson is barely affected. He took 12 darts. Each, a single one would knock out a normal person. He took 12, got out of the situation, then I think he had to get hit by a train before he finally went down in that situation. He's also super stealthy. I don't understand how a guy this big and violent can be stealthy, but he can escape from a battle, much like the, the thief lady with the cape. He just could escape, sneak up behind somebody and stab them to death and doesn't even think about it. And he also loves his signature move, taking two people's heads and cracking them together for a knockout. You could take out two people at once. You're Brock Samson. You could do it. He was in a room with a bunch of Lucha Libre wrestlers. One hit him with a folding chair and he barely moved. If, in fact, I don't think he moved at all. Next shot, the guy who did that had the folding chair literally wrapped around his head and Brock Samson was throwing him at the other Lucha Libre stars. He's too durable, too violent. He ripped off the Bionic Man's arm, the Bionic Man being a stand-in for the $6 million man. He took Professor Impossible, who's essentially Mr. Fantastic with stretching powers, because they've defeated the Fantastic Four of their universe. They, they drilled him to a wall, jumped out of a window with his legs, and tied him to a subway car, and just let him stretch himself to heaven. He survived the vacuum of space for a time when he was out there in space. This is a guy who beats superheroes on the reg, gigantic animals, crocodiles, bears, doesn't matter, and the best trained assassins in the entire world. And you're telling me Brock bleeping Samson is going to have trouble with a couple 15-year-olds? I don't think so. And that's my point number three. Look, I love love Brock Samson as a character. Just everything about him is absolutely fantastic from the voice acting to the action, just to his character. Absolutely love watching him, but he's not going to be as big of a help as you, as you think he is. Let me just kind of break this down a little bit. Now let me retract or go back to something. Dr. Orpheus. Great. He's a Dr. Strange equivalent. It's not like Team Venture knows how Dr. Orpheus does what he does in the magical realm. They can duplicate some of his acts, but they're not opening otherworldly portals to dimensions and bringing people through or trapping people there, which is something that happens on a regular basis within the Dungeons & Dragons world. All right, let's talk about Brock Samson. He does love to kill, but he has been captured. He's been hurt. He does bleed. Now, it takes a lot to take him out, but he has been taken out. Uh, one of his weaknesses... Kids. Okay, he loves the Venture Kids, Hank and Dean. He will do anything for them. We've seen that a million times. Any threat that comes at him, he will do what he can to protect him, which makes me ask a really weird question. How's he going to do against fighting another group of kids? I don't know. I remember, one of them's like 10 years old, a little, little kid, and the rest of them are a little bit younger than Hank and Dean. How's he going to go? Is he going to be as bloodthirsty as usual? Maybe, or is he going to hold back a little bit? That could be a problem. And finally, Brock Sampson. I got to tell you, he's absolutely a monster. 
but a small scale monster compared to Tiamat, a dragon god, or Venger, the ultimate expression of evil in that realm they're in, uh, or other any other supernatural crazy beings. I just don't think the scale of Brock Samson, as impressive as it is, will necessarily phase the or make the kids say, like, we've never seen something like this before. They've been up against murderous intent beings before, although I do think Brock Samson's overall murderous intent can be really, really dangerous. All right, let me get to my point number three, and let's talk about the Venture Brothers. Let's just shift that over. You know, uh, we already talked about it. How often have the actual Venture Brothers been killed? Quite a few times, actually. In this case, they may get killed accidentally on their own or by something that happens with the Dungeons and Dragons crew as well. Uh, these kids have been killed so often. I already talked about it and cloned. They've lost count. Team Venture is many things, many, many things, but a cohesive fighting unit is not one of them. How often do the actual brothers fight amongst themselves during an actual fight where they need to be working together? That happens more on the regular than not. How great is Dr. Venture in a fight? We've already seen this. Unless he has everything going for him, he's going to back down. Even help with the robot. I've already said this before. He's deathly afraid of a lot of stuff and will run if he gets a chance to do that. And again, that leaves Brock Samson. And I agree with Ray. Brock is the X factor for Team Venture. He may be able to take out some of the kids. Well, again, he's vicious, brutal. He's got a tendency to lose it when the battle gets really, really tough. And that will be his undoing. Let me explain by describing how I think this battle is going to go. So, of course, they face off. Dean and Hank make inappropriate remarks to Sheila the Thief and Diana the Acrobat because that's what they do. The Dungeons and Dragons team have faced evil before and they see it in both Dr. Venture and especially Brock. They go on the offensive. Hank and Dean run for their lives but get destroyed in the crossfire. Dr. Venture tells Brock to make a mental note to clone the boys back to life again. Of course, Brock's like, got it, Doc. Hank the Ranger and Eric the Cavalier use offense and defense at the same time against Brock, firing at him with a magical bow and arrow while protecting themselves using the magical shield. Dr. Venture gets taken out by Diana the acrobat because again he's making inappropriate moves towards her as well brock sees dr venture on the ground he sees the boys dead or at least hurt again and that's when his eye starts to twitch like we've seen it happen so often his body starts to seize up he starts to lose it and goes into brock samson murderous mode the dungeons and dragon kids know they're in trouble brock unleashes a torrent of physical destruction taking out sheila the thief even though she's invisible and the repeatedly smashing Presto's head into the ground bobby the bear barbarian runs up to him smashes his club on the ground bashes it on brock in the head and somehow brock tanks it he backhands bobby the ground and pulls out a knife because that's what he does sensing his friend is in trouble uni the little you know unicorn runs up to brock and starts kicking him like a little horse can brock viciously grabs uni by the throat beats her into the ground and starts to stab him mcstaverson uni because that's what brock does and that's when it happens just like when Venger hurt Uni and all the Dungeons and Dragons teams got serious and took out Venger, the kids slowly get up, see Uni no longer moving on the ground, and start to kind of go into their ultimate angry mode. Tears run down Bobby the Barbarian's angry face. Hank looks at Brock and with a white-hot intensity says, that was a mistake. The last mistake you'll ever make. And from there, the kids unleash absolute hell in a coordinated, concentrated effort like they've done before and absolutely wreck Brock Sampson until he's either a smear on the ground, he takes off, or at the very least, is knocked out, which has happened before. Listen, if they can do that to Venger, if they can take out Tiamat, if they can take out dragons, gods of dragons, evil beings with crazy power, they can take out Brock Sampson and Team Venture. That's why Team Venture loses. That's why the Dungeons & Dragons team wins. That's my point number three. 
Nah, come on, James. That's absolutely ridiculous. Now, first off, I will say to your point, Brock Sampson uh, is not going to try to murder children. And maybe that works against me, but I have to be truthful to the character. Brock Sampson will knock these children out, and more likely, Brock Sampson will very, very quickly understand that they're getting their powers from their weapons, and he will disarm them one after another, greatly reducing their ability to do anything at all, either destroying the weapons by smashing them in his super-powered hands, or turning around and using them against them, especially in the case of the shields and whatnot. At the end of the day, we have a team that's been trained since birth to handle situations like this in the Venture Brothers, and we have a team that was just thrust into it, given a little bit of power and told figure it out don't worry i'll come and and deus ex machina you whenever i need to i'm the dungeon master don't stress it he's a very kind dungeon master is what i'm saying you take them out of that environment (laughs) into a third party a neutral playing field as we do on this show those kids are in deep deep trouble if no one's there to bail them out and james you talk about magic in the DD universe there is powerful magic there not that these kids have uh, possession of not that these kids can actually do so i think you're being a little disingenuous with this point at the end of the day what's actually going to happen is that brock samson's going to jump into it he's not going to try to kill the kids but he's going to start cracking their skulls together disarming them grabbing their weapons as i said hank and deep venture are going to get into the middle of it and at least do some occupying at least make it so that all the kids can't focus on brock at the same time while rusty venture is going to hang back take in the situation and figure out some sort of a device that's going to win the day for his team if Brock Sampson doesn't take everybody out first, which seems in my head to be the most likely way this scenario unfolds. Interesting theory. Let's see what our judge thinks about this. Marshall, it's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell us the story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Team Venture and the team from Dungeons & Dragons. Lots of good points on both sides. Uh, lots of good rebuttals. Answered some questions that I that I have about how non-magic users and magic users are going to battle. Lots of science versus magic stuff. I here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. It seems the, the James, you know, makes a good point as to the level of power that the Dungeon and Dragons kids have had to deal with in their realm. But Ray, you 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 do a good job of letting us know that, yeah, they the venture family has had to deal with some pretty epic stuff too, and has come out on top. So for me, it was uh, it came down to a bit of a of a matchup situation, if you will. If this is according to the rules, in a neutral location, they just rolled up on each other. I feel like Rusty. And Presto are there. They're they're have the same function. Come up with and and bring something to the table that's going to help us win this battle, <laughs> right? Ray, you've already told me they the they got the clone army. They got the clone army. They they um um Hank and Dean can can be killed because they got clones of them. But it sounds like. They just kind of are, they're like the front line dudes. They're the guys getting off the boat on D-Day. They can die, and it doesn't matter to the doctor because they know that they're going to bring them back, right? Which then leaves, of course, you know, uh, Doc Sampson, who, according to both of you, seems pretty intense. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds, like a, a, sounds like a winner. Sounds like a winner out there. Um, but the matchup, I feel like, in the practical application, it's going to be hard for 
the for for Rusty to Iron Man in a cave his way <laughs> to some stuff. Samson's the only hope, and you like you said, he's beat the the Fantastic Four version in or the Avengers of that world, which is pretty huge because I mean these little kids with their lack of experience, that's that's to me, that's a huge deal. Like, oh wait, Samson might actually be able to do this. However, in the end, I feel like Samson is the only person who is going to be left out of a cowardly robot, some dead clones, and a and a scientist with no lab. I feel like the the one that's going to get Samson in the end is going to be young Sheila uh, because she's he's going to be fighting Club Kid. He's going to be fighting Acrobat Girl. He's going to be fighting Arrow Guy. He's going to be fighting Shield Boy. He's not going to be paying attention to. Invisible girl, and she's gonna roll up behind him and uh, knock him out or something. Presto's gonna give her or something to hand to him to knock him out. So, unfortunately, Ray, I'm sorry, I gotta go with James and the D and D kids to win this battle. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I had to do it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The absolute truth came out. By the way, this is the only logical decision you can even think of. Uh, Marshall Givens, you are a genius on so many different ways. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> and by the way, I love Team Venture. Uh, given a chance to prepare for this, I think they'd also lose a second and third encounter as well because that's the fun part of watching this series. Something goes wrong all the time. Race to Canis, another loss for you, my friend. How do you feel right now? Tell the Legion of Audience what's going through your head. I'm blown away by a judge's decision that it says this 13-year-old girl is going to come up behind Brock Sampson and then, quote-unquote, do something to knock him out. What in Marshall Gibbons, what is a 13-year-old girl going to do to this powerhouse monstrosity of a man to knock him out, whether he knows she is there or not? Whatever logic, Presto gives a, There is a Grand Canyon-level logic leap that happened in your argument that I cannot, I cannot, uh, I cannot stand, Miss nor Presto. can I plan for. Miss if you Presto. just decide the impossible is going to happen, then I don't know what to tell you. You described probably what would happen with the clone army and the blasting and the Dean and Hank getting in the way, Rusty Ventures working on his device, etc. Presto's trying to keep him pinned down. That all tracks, but then Brock Sampson is somehow defeated by a 13-year-old girl who snuck up on him because reasons. That's where I feel like you dropped the ball, and I think our audience agrees with me on this. Oh, boy. No, absolutely incorrect, right? Here's the deal. Sheila can occupy... Brock Sampson, while he's getting nailed by the ranger, the barbarian bashing him in the head, and also being, while he's trying to fight back, but they're being protected by Eric the Cavalier with his magical shield. That's what I heard from all of this, and I got to agree 100%. Marshall, I had no idea that you were also a genius when it came to battlefield tactics. This makes complete (laughs) sense to me, good sir. Red Sun Tzu, Red Sun Tzu. Brock Samson fights teams of the most highly trained assassins at the same time by himself and makes short work of them. A 13-year-old girl is going to step up on him and just take him out. Marshall, I don't know what the heck happened to you, but I want the old Marshall back. (laughs) The one who gave me the win last time or the one who gave me the win the time before that? Yikes. 
He's got you in a Marshall, corner if you're having money problems and James came to you with an offer you can't refuse, you know you can always talk to me. I won't give you any money, but I can at least help you maintain your dignity <laughs> by not giving James an undeserved win. James used a uh, rusty venture mind control device on me, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Talks game, mind fog, bribery, mind control device. It's all the same thing. Marshall, you know what it is? It's just you're a man of taste, of intelligence, of good looks. You just went with a side that reminded you of you. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're right. See what yeah. I did there? Talks game, mind fog. You should try it sometime, Ray. All right. This was another fun fight, Marshall. Please tell everyone where they can find you online. Uh, you guys can find me online at Mr. Happy Givens on the Twitters and the Instagrams. You know how that goes. I'm not on TikTok. I mean, I got a TikTok, but I don't do nothing, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Way to put down the most powerful social media platform uh, of our and They track yeah, us, man. Generation. They track right. us on that TikTok, man. It's true. <laughs> it is so true. It is so true. All right. Very cool. Ray, please tell our listeners where they can find you. I've made many mistakes in this life up to this point. <laughs> I've made uh, several money decisions that were not so good when I was younger and a little bit more foolish in that realm. Sure. I've stayed at jobs considerably longer than I ever deserved to stay at them where I was miserable just because it felt like the right thing to do. But I would argue the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was not casting Marshall Givens in Reclaimed Detroit, a vampire <laughs> the masquerade audio drama, because clearly he came on the Who Would Win show as judge the week that the show debuts out for my blood. <laughs> wow. Marshall, I'm going to give you a part at some point. I actually, as we were doing this episode, a character popped into my head that I think you would be perfect for. Too late to say now, obviously, because you think a 13-year-old girl <laughs> with a cloak steps to Brock Sampson and takes him out. It's always the gentlest Y'all at home, one. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that didn't make any sense at all. I can't even be mad at Marshall Givens because that's just such a wild leap for a brain to take. I almost, almost almost respect it but of course <laughs> i cannot listen to reclaim detroit currently available both on the who would win show feed and at the reclaim detroit feed as well wherever you podcast at vampire detroit on twitter if you want to get involved VampireDetroit.com if you want to learn more about the show hit me up individually at almighty ray i don't know what more i needed to do in this battle when the judge says a 13-year-old girl beats Brock Sampson. Y'all at home, hashtag Ray was robbed. Hashtag Ray is right. Hashtag what? My mentions are going to be in shambles. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen, listen. On a side note, okay? As an MMA instructor, jiu-jitsu instructor, kickboxing instructor, let me tell you something about 13-year-old girls. They can absolutely wreck a full-grown, large man quite easily. Never underestimate what a 13-year-old girl can physically do to a human being. Yeah. It's 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 not for, you know, those with a weak stomach. I'm And I'm not even exaggerating, by the way. With so, their snark, that out there. James. With their snark, not physically. What are you talking about? Brock Sampson is superhuman. <laughs> so are some 13-year-old girls. If hey, they had it ended... Uh, Avengers Infinity War or Endgame with Thanos getting stepped up to by a 13-year-old girl who just found a way to take him out, 
Oh, they did do that with Squirrel Girl. My point is it wasn't yeah. satisfying. <laughs> Nobody would be happy. That's Nobody good. should be happy right now. That's Marshall Gibbons, you've beaten joy out of the universe. Ray, it's because you have not been insulted by a teenage girl yet that you don't know the death that you would suffer from. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was once a teenage boy. I know what it was like. <laughs> yeah, but they'd have to talk to you. In real life, they didn't talk to you to insult okay, you. Okay, I, I, I did right. have to hear I them. I did have right. to hear them from across the room. That is true. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gabs. You remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and Marshall Given's favorite social media platform. That's right, TikTok. At Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanus, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What follows is a teaser for Season 1 of Reclaim Detroit, a Vampire the Masquerade audio drama from the mind of Ray Stacanus. Reclaim Detroit will debut in July 2022 wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, go to at Vampire Detroit on Twitter. And now... There's some weirdo Satanist out there or something that you might have heard of? I mean, there are, but this doesn't sound like one of them. This is Detroit, 1996. For a long time, the savage Sabbath vampires held claim to this area. That is, until four years ago when McMasters and his Camarilla group infiltrated the city, then kicked their asses out. I still can't believe your clan lets you call yourself Tory. There are no rules for us anymore. We are who we want to be. Right now, I want to be Tory. It's a little audacious, though, isn't it? Hey, audacious is my middle name. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, is it? Why am I in the back alley of this gin joint? It turns out that the best way to gain knowledge is to invite the city to your secret club and film them the entire time that they're there. Who knew? (laughs) I work for you Camarilla folks, too. But you also work for them. It's an underground gothic club for kindred. The lady would prefer tiki torches and Christmas lights? Some loudmouth drunks thought it would be fun to break in my domain and cause trouble tonight. They were wrong. There's something.